brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. All right, Higher Side Chatters, another day, another deep dive into the mysteries and mechanisms that make our system work. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And if you ask me, one of the major reasons we have such a sick and backward society is largely because of the way we are taught to think about the world around us. That it's a disconnected, harsh, randomized universe of chaos, that there's no purpose or intelligence behind it, and the emergence of life on Earth is a laissez-faire and apathetic situation that could have just as easily never occurred. It's this fundamental mindset that puts us in opposition to our environment. It justifies the exploitation of the Earth, the technologies and energy systems derived from smashing and burning and blowing shit up, Factory farming and poison-soaked monocrop agriculture, the medical system's harsh treatments to carpet bomb the body with antibiotics or just cut stuff out, and the scarcity mindset in general. The attitude that this world is trying to kill us so we better get ours, and if it dies, it dies. It wasn't always this way, and there are many indications that several cultures of the past had a more holistic view of the system and considered themselves blessed to be a part of it. But like a parent raises a child, we've been conditioned by our global elite to accept a worldview that allows their psychopathic rape and pillage to go on without much resistance. In fact, many retirement accounts and 401ks are actually buying in. Well, back in the THC saddle once again to straighten us out and undo the damage is the legend himself, Nassim Haramein. If you don't recall, Nassim has spent over 30 years researching reality and discovering connections in physics, mathematics, geometry, cosmology, quantum mechanics, biology, chemistry, in addition to anthropology and ancient civilizations. These studies led to his groundbreaking theories, published papers, and patented inventions in unified science, which have now received worldwide recognition. His work is often summarized as the hollow fractographic unified field theory, which you can learn about in great detail at the Resonance Science Foundation, which he also founded, and now, as a gift to humanity in our troubled times, has made his main unified science course free of charge at ResonanceScience.org. What a treat. Let's get into it. The powerful professor of the hollow fractal universe, the good science guru, and my sacred geometry, Jesus, Nassim, my man, welcome back to THC. Thank you. It's great to be there with you. Yes, man. I'm really looking forward to doing this again. 
We just had your friend and colleague, William Brown, here a show or two ago, and I'm sure this will be a nice compliment to that. Oh, great. And to kick this off, I spent a lot of time in that intro talking about mindset and how our worldview does inform our behavior. And let's start there, because in this sort of crisis situation, our view of reality and nature has suddenly become very important. How are you processing the world right now? And would we be approaching this coronavirus situation differently as a society if the holofracto model was the dominant one? I think so. I think it would have never got there in the first place uh, <laughs> because I have large amount of suspicion that this thing didn't just jump from a bat to a human without going through a lab in between. But that's another story. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that, you know, I think that when you have a more holistic view of creation yourself and your relationship to it as did many civilization before our modern one that there is a lot of natural ingredients in our environment that are very powerful in keeping us healthy and keeping a strong immune system and even overcoming many bacterial or viral infection and so on and these ingredients that eventually we synthesized into medication and launched some of the largest corporation on earth today, you know, are still there available. And I think that that approach from the data I've been getting has been showing very, very impressive results. And so coming at it from a perspective of wholeness, and of systems approach and understanding that, you know, there's this problem in physics called the fine tuning problem. And it has to do with the fact that our universe seems to be highly tuned for life to emerge. Like you can see that if you were to modify by very, very, very small amounts, any of the fundamental constants like gravitational constants, the electromagnetic field or various things in our like alpha or various thing in our cosmogenesis, then life would probably not happen. For instance, if gravity was too weak for planetary systems to emerge and stellar systems and galactic structures and so on. But even as well, like the amount of radiation that's required for life to function on our planet and all these things. So this is all highly tuned for life. And something that's highly tuned for life has all the ingredients in it for life to thrive. And when we look at our natural environment, it does thrive when we don't interfere with it too much. And so that, I think, is a really important example for humanity on how to organize its civilization and how to understand nature, interact with nature, and function with nature in which its symbiotic relationship is positive instead of uh, self-destructive. Mm. 
Yes, I like that. And Alan Watts once said that just as an apple tree apples, the earth peoples. And it's a symphony of factors that make it possible. We should respect that. Right. For sure. You know, there is definitely in this moment, I think this pandemic is a representation of the state of affair of humanity and the need for humanity to make changes. If we look at the higher perspective of why such thing would happen, and that this change is a great, great opportunity for humanity to transcend some of the systems that has permitted it to go towards an unsustainable path and steer the ship to something vastly different. And when I say that, I don't mean to go back to caves and give up technology. I mean to take a different approach to technology, a different relationship with the natural world. I believe that we have all the information required, all the information necessary for us to develop technology that actually is compatible with nature, that is positive on the natural habitat and positive for humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, mindset is just so important because ignorance of our system leads to fear. It allows us to be manipulated and be kind of you know moved around on the board wherever someone might want to move us. And it's like people have this mindset of, well, food doesn't come from the earth. It comes from McDonald's and Walmart. It's like we forget, and you know, Monsanto. It's just we we have this like corporate middleman between us and the natural systems, so we don't really see it unless someone has, say, a victory garden or something. Then you start to really see the magic of how you just plant things, and abundance does spring up, regardless of how much green paper you have. Right. Well, you know, like people say, money doesn't grow on trees. Certainly, there's a huge industry in this world that has been making money with trees. (laughs) So, you know, yes, you plant a little seed, which actually doesn't cost anything if you're doing sustainable gardening because you're collecting them from earlier years and you get something that sustains you right out of the ground, which is a remarkable thing. People don't think twice about it. But it shows you that natural world, the universe, is not a closed system. It's an open system. It's a system that is functioning on abundance and abundance of energy, abundance of resources. And we've built a society that's based on scarcity. The idea that there is not enough for everybody, that we have to fight for it, that only the fittest will survive. I believe those concepts are inaccurate, or at least incomplete. And there's a different way of functioning in which instead of competition, you have collaboration between species, between all humans, you know, and those all have this collaborative view requires that we understand 
the larger perspective of our existence, which has to do with understanding our universe a little bit better and understanding ourselves a little bit better. Mm. Well said, yes. And man, maybe there wouldn't be a food shortage out there if Americans' number one crop wasn't just green grass lawns, actually grow something <laughs> useful for once. But, you know, it's all backwards thinking that we got out here. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, we've definitely got used to a certain way of living. And it's very difficult to, you know, we tend to be very sanitary. And in some ways, we've been brought to expect that we can just go to the supermarket and there will be food there. And that is not necessarily correct, meaning that they can be collapse of society structure that can happen pretty easily because our society has been built in a way that is not so robust. You know, for instance, you could even just think of the electric grid of our planet that supplies most of the cities, most of their houses, and so on. Well, that electrical system is very, very vulnerable to electromagnetic impulses that commonly comes from the sun. And, you know, if the sun did a sun flare that for the sun would not be anything that unusual and it hit the earth just right, at least that portion of the earth that's facing the sun during the daytime, you know, would lose a good portion, a very large portion of its electrical grid or could. And this has happened before, for instance, in Canada a few decades ago. So I think it was in the 60s or 70s, I'm unsure. There was a sun flare that hit it square. So all of the transformer cans on all of the poles in the good portion of Quebec and Ontario blew. And, you know, people were left without electricity for a significant amount of time, weeks. And a very large portion of the population, luckily this was in the summer. So, you know, there wasn't so much death as a result of it. But if it would have been at minus 40 in Canada during the winter, it could have been a big problem because people don't have wood stoves anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so these kind of things, I'm just giving one example, but like the food chain structure, you know, how food is being transported very far from where it's made and so on. Like all these things are issues that in cases of changes and fairly small changes could produce very big issues like this current situation. Yes, yes. Some systems we have are pretty convenient at times, but it's good to have a backup plan because you never know when one of these systems will fail. And to talk a little bit more about this current situation, I've heard you mention this debate between pastors, germ theory, and terrain theory. And 
You've said there's probably truth to both. We've all seen healthy people get very, very ill, but we also know that the quality of our environment and the state of our body do play a role in how bacteria and viruses would affect a person. I think that seems pretty legitimate, but we're presented with this, if you get it, then you're screwed kind of roll of the dice attitude. Like we have no options but to cross our fingers and pray. But there's a little more nuance there than that, right? Exactly. You know, the little more nuance is almost 80% or more of the population has contracted this virus and has survived it just fine (laughs) with the little sniffles, some of them not any symptoms at all, clearly showing that the immune system can do the job and that there's specific variation in one person getting it and another person not, or one person getting it and getting really sick and another person getting it and, you know, having a little sniffles. And it boggles the mind that that is not more investigated, right? right? Like exactly what are the components and certainly There's been evidence from the beginning that one of the components that helped a lot was, you know, large amount of vitamin C, clearly having a strong immune system and taking care of your immune system with the correct alimentation, with the correct mineral supplements and so on, which are almost required at this time because our alimentation, our fruits and vegetables, and even the meat and so on is very depleted. It's either depleted or it's full of chemicals and hormones and all kinds of things that actually deplete our immune system. And so taking care of ourselves is something, and our immune system is something that, like prevention is really the key here. And then if you contract it, there's a good chance it's going to be a little sniffle and maybe a little fever because it's important for people to know as well is that it's not the virus itself. Like technically, yes, the virus irritated your lungs, but at the end of the day, it's the immune response and it's an inflammationary response in the lungs that produce fluids in the lungs that gets people in trouble. And so if you can keep the inflammation down, if you can use antioxidant and so on to keep a balanced pH and all this, it shouldn't be a problem. Right, right. And it kind of makes me think about how resilient the body really is, because even though we have this crazy electrified environment, the 5G thing, we have nutrient depleted crops, we have chemicals and pesticides on the food we can get, we have massive air pollution, and we have a backwards medical system. Even despite all that, you still have a situation where the vast majority of people are able to beat this thing without much of a problem at all. So we are quite resilient, even though we are really putting our bodies to work these days. No doubt. It's always amazed me, especially with the electromagnetic pollution and what life is baiting in electromagnetically on our planet. It's always amazed me how resilient 
life is, you know, the typical analogy to it is when you see, you know, a little weed or tree grow in the crack of cement somewhere where you would never think, you know, a tree could grow and how fast nature reclaims, you know, especially right now, as you can see from like cities being halted and the wildlife coming back in. And so basically the fact that we can survive the electromagnetic pollution alone is remarkable. And people don't realize that because, you know, if you're not a scientist, if you're not a somebody that takes measurements of the environment and so on, you don't see it, you don't feel it, it's just your Wi-Fi, it's just your phone, you know, you don't have a sense of it. But when you actually measure and you see what's around you and what's going on, it'd be equivalent to, if you could hear it, you know, it would be equivalent to like large random noise like you know when your tv doesn't have a channel on and it's like going whoosh, like in the old days we had that yeah and it would be like continuously buzzing you constantly 24 7 and somehow it wouldn't affect you you would tune it out that shows how amazing the structure of our biology is and how resilient nature is. Great points. And we all know that we should eat good food and stay away from toxins in our environment as best we can, as challenging as it is these days. But I have had some out-of-the-box thinkers come on here and talk about other aspects of fundamental health. And some people think it's the electromagnetic fields of the body. Some people think it's getting healthy, structured water into your cells. Maybe it's a bit of both, but how important do you think these two components are to health beyond just eating right and exercising? The electromagnetic fields we have that some people don't even pay attention to at all, and also the structured water. Right. Well, yeah. So it's definitely more than the food and trying to eat good food and organic and all this stuff, but it has a lot to do as well with the chemistry in your body and the electromagnetic communication that goes on in your body and certainly in your brain. And when you try to drill down into it to try to see if there is one component that you could identify that regulates all this stuff, at a certain level, okay, there's the food, there's the minerals you have, and there's a very important large component to it, and that's been shown over and over again, your state of being, your consciousness, your awareness, I should say, your emotional state drives a lot of those components, the chemical and hormonal components of your body and so on. So, of course, that's the other part of staying healthy is to have good mental health, good emotional health, which can be pretty challenging these days as well. And I certainly fail at it once in a while. But trying to keep all this together, it's almost a full-time job. <laughs> 
Right, right. And that's uh, a major factor to me as well, the importance of mental state and our stress levels. I only know one person who went to the hospital during this, and it was because they had a panic attack, not anything to do with the virus, but from watching too much news. Uh And when you think about it in that context, I mean, I know some people are getting sick. These numbers are, are quite huge, but it almost seems like the cable news cycle, it's definitely irresponsible. It could almost qualify as an attack when you factor in how important stress level is and how detrimental this news has been to stress levels. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and as well to health, like people are trying to stay as healthy as they can, which is not easy when you're confined in your home. And certainly if you're in a large city and so on. And, you know, I went surfing this morning and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to drown. You know, (laughs) I hadn't surfed in a month and a half. And there was, you know, good size wave, but nothing I couldn't handle. But, you know, I was like so out of shape. I couldn't believe it. And so, you know, it's challenging right now. And it's really important to stay in shape. But at the same time, I want to say, you know, you were talking about backup plan earlier you know the backup plan for humanity is not make sure that like everybody has a wood stove in their house (laughs) that's the thing we can't go backwards we have to go forward so like to make our society and our grid and so on resilient there is very advanced technology that can be developed that we have all the knowledge necessary to develop and that can provide energy to almost infinite levels, meaning continuously, in in localized area, that is like each home could have its unit, each car could have its unit, each computer could have its unit, and it would be continuous and pretty well oblivious to any outside influence like electromagnetic pulses from the sun, whatever. That would probably just give you more energy in the system. And so there's a way to build a society that's completely sustainable. We just got to, we have to transcend this very important moment in our technological and technical evolution in which we have enough knowledge to get ourselves in trouble And we're needing to make like this next step that's super important so that we can actually bring our technology to a whole new level where it becomes harmonious with nature. For instance, gravitational drives. People might say, well, okay, let's just imagine you could control gravity. And people say, well, that's impossible. Well, okay, before Faraday and Maxwell and all these People thought it was impossible to control the electromagnetic field, which pretty well spawned all of our technological society. You know, before the Wright brothers flew a plane, there was many, many, many papers published in physics, category proving mathematically that a plane would never fly or anything heavier than air. You know, those papers were written without the scientists looking out the window and noticing the birds and the bees, but that's another story. In any case, let's assume that all of a sudden we discovered how gravity truly works, that is in the standard model right now, 
gravity is not understood, meaning if you ask any physicist, if they're honest and they know physics, they will tell you that we know gravity is the result of curvature of space-time since Einstein, but we don't know what space-time is made of, so we actually don't really know what gravity is. And it's pretty well the same for the electromagnetic field, by the way. We control it, but we don't quite know what it is. In any case, if we all of a sudden learn how to control gravity as we learned to control electromagnetic fields earlier, all of a sudden we could take our society off the surface. I mean, literally, by controlling gravity, you could fly through the solar system with no problem. You could assemble very, very large ships. Distances in our solar system, at least, would become you know, very, very approachable, meaning you could go to Jupiter in a few days or to the asteroid belt in a day or so or grab materials. You could harvest water from comets. I mean, you could do all kinds of things. But all of a sudden, the surface of the Earth would return to its state of natural health because there wouldn't be that many of us on it. And when we came to it, it would be like the garden. So the garden would be lush and it would be healthy and it would be wonderful and beautiful and it would be a great playground, but we might actually not live directly on it. We could live in the, in the atmosphere or live outside the atmosphere because you can make ships that have very large gravitational fields that are controlled in such a way that you have the same gravitational environment that you have on Earth so that your bones stay healthy and your biology and your metabolism continues to work appropriately. And, you know, you could live in space. So, you know, this one discovery of the structure of space-time, of what space-time is truly made of, could change our society to completely transform our relationship to the world, to the universe, to each other, and bring us into a situation where we realize that there's actually abundance of material and energy and so on in the, in the world, in the universe, and we don't have to fight for it. <laughs> well, cheers to that. And <laughs> That was my rant, by the way. <laughs> I love it. That's why we're here. And uh, last time we did this, we talked a little bit about this kind of stuff with science and physics and how it was sent down an incorrect path when they decided to take out the ether. Right. And they just said space is a vast, empty nothing rather than a medium in which light and really everything moves through. That should be kind of obvious. But along this subject, it's, it's really nice that you opened up your unified science course in these troubled times. I know that's really the reason you're making the rounds. There are six modules to it. What can you tell people about what they would learn from these six modules? Well, that's a good question. And I'm so glad, you know, we have like 22,000 people taking it right now in the English side. We have another few thousand in the French side and so on. And we're opening Spanish very soon. You know, I think at this time, it's such a great opportunity for people to learn about themselves, learn about their environment, learn about the universe. I mean, really, you know, this part is really an important part about the human existence. You're here, you work, you survive, 
and then you pass on. And it's an opportunity to learn about yourself, to learn about the universe, to transform, to grow, and so on. And in this course, we start with module one, which is like the worldview. What is the current worldviews? And where could we bring the worldview? And where is the worldview actually bringing us in science that's kind of diverging from the current common worldview? I'm being specific to unified physics, unified science. We're clearly, slowly getting there and realizing, and this is no longer just from me, that many components in the natural world that were thought to be separate and independent are actually connected and codependent, not in a bad way. and that the universe is unified. And I don't just mean at the biological level, I mean at the atomic level, so that particles seems to be entangled. And, you know, it's like a network of structure of space. So when they removed the ether, they replaced it with space-time, which is a conceptual model, a mathematical model of space. But they still required space to curve to produce gravity. I mean, that's Einstein general relativity, right? He geometrized space, called it space-time, and he showed that in order for gravity to occur, a mass has to curve space-time. The problem is that the source of mass was not identified, meaning energy mass E equals mc square you know, was not identified, like, where is that coming from? (laughs) And the structure of space was replaced with that superfluid ether, was replaced with a mathematical model, conceptual model, that assumed that space is empty. And it's kind of remarkable that something that's completely empty would be able to curve and produce effects like gravity. (laughs) And this is something Einstein realized later on. It took him about 10 years, and then he came back saying, no, 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 we cannot remove the ether, but it was too late. And more young physicists and modern quantum theory was being developed and all this. And there was experiments that didn't confirm the ether, but these experiments We're looking for a very specific ether, meaning those experiments was looking for the behavior of the ether in a specific way based on their model. Now, all they confirmed is that their model of the ether was incorrect, but that didn't mean the ether wasn't there. And that space is empty. Space is full of electromagnetic fluctuations. When they got into the quantum level of the equations, they realized that space at the quantum level was full of energy. Actually, the equation said infinite amount of energy in every point, which they had to renormalize using the Planck link. That means they made space a little finite particle at the Planck scale, which is like billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of times smaller than a proton, than an atom. If you grew a Planck, little particles so that it was a grain of sand, the proton would be from our sun to Alpha Centauri, which is about 40 
trillion kilometers. So it's very, very tiny fluctuations, but because they're really tiny, there's a lot of them in a centimeter cube of space. So that in a centimeter cube of space, you have 10 to the 93 grams per centimeter cube, which is huge. It's 39 orders more than the mass of the universe in a centimeter cube. So imagine all this energy is there, but it's fluctuating in regions of scales that we don't experience directly. And certainly we have a hard time measuring, although we finally have started to be able to measure it directly. So this energy, not knowing it's there, has led us to look for energy in other ways by burning things. And if we could tap, and we can, if we tapped into this energy, which why do I believe we can? Is because everything we see is tapping into it. It's making all the atoms. It's making all the molecules. It's making all the biologies, making all the planets, the stars, the galaxies. And I've proven this now with the paper I'm working on with Dr. Ariel and others, clearly at all scales, we've been able to solve it. It's clear this energy, fundamental energy, which produces what we call mass, is clearly available since all of nature uses it. And so it's just a question of understanding a little bit how it works a little better and engineering something that biomimics nature and extract as much energy as we ever could use. Yes, that is a great breakdown and a really great point that all living biology is taking this energy, it's harnessing it. So you should be able to make technologies that also harness it and work kind of in sync with it or harmoniously with it, as opposed to smashing it, burning it, and all that good stuff. And <laughs> yeah. these, these modules will uh, lead you through that realization right to the promised land, right? Right. So the, I'm sorry, I got on a tangent. So the, you know, the first <laughs> manual, um, thank you for bringing me back. The first module is the worldview change. The second one is a little bit of a module about thinking differently. Okay, so let's say we thought differently. How would be the most powerful way to think about the universe and what is science leading us to in thinking of the universe? And, you know, how does that change in your life? And then module three goes through the history of modern physics, you know, lightly, but certainly that's the hump. Everybody says the module three is the toughest one because it's important that you understand where we have been to understand where we're going. And where we're going is module four, which is unified physics. So how the worldview of physics is changing and what are the new physics that are emerging. Module five gets us into, well, when we're looking at physics this way, in a unified way, we end up with concepts of physics and equations of physics that tells us something very similar to what we find in ancient civilizations around the world. So module five is about looking at ancient civilization, ancient symbolism, and comparing it to what we're finding in physics and finding that 
you know, there seems to be anomalies in the knowledge base on our planet that may have come from an earlier civilization that was present before a cataclysm that was recorded by most of the ancient civilization that we have records on around the planet, records on. And then module six gets us into implication and application, the implication of this new worldview, of this new understanding, both of advanced physics, biology, chemistry, and all the sciences, including archaeology, and what it leads to in terms of applications like gravity control, electromagnetic devices to produce energy, and so on. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's dense, but it is important information. And I just love the way you look at the world, and I'm very much in line with a lot of your ideas, but I do want to talk about the math a bit more. Last time you were here, it was a very popular show, but I did get some feedback from people who claim to be scientists who are very skeptical of the math when it comes to the radius of the proton in particular. It's over my head and becomes a sort of he said, she said kind of thing. But is this something that any good physicist should be able to derive from just following your original paper? Absolutely. And, you know, the people that are having issues with it are people that are not actually understanding. Although the math is very simple, they're not necessarily understanding the physics very well. So, Yes, absolutely. You know, these equations are very simple and they can be derived very clearly from the papers I've written. And the people that have problems with it in general are people that don't quite have a full understanding of physics. And I've not made the papers, and this is my fault, I've not made the papers as clear as they could be. The paper that's going to come out Next, I'm going to take it much more from where the standard model is and, you know, walk people through all of the steps of the mathematics directly from the entropic principles, statistical entropy and Brownian motion and all this, and eventually leading to the holographic mass solution and then scaling it through the different scales from the subatomic particles to the universe, including all the zoo, I mean, many of the zoo of particles that are found in the standard model, the table of elements and everything. So it's going to clarify for them. The value that I got and that I predicted for the radius of the proton is in my paper. It's not hard to solve it. Anybody can solve it very easily. And when they do, they will get that value. And that value has become the co-data value now. Now, when I published it, it was in December of 2012. I didn't think that, you know, it was 4% smaller than the standard model predicted. And 4% in quantum theory is huge. Like uh, people don't realize, you know, usually in quantum theory, precision is in like, 8 to 10 to 12 to 14 digits accuracy after the period, right? Significant numbers. So to be 4% off is huge. Like it's like you're not in the same ballgame. And 4% in cosmological theory is something completely different. I mean, in cosmological theory, they're 96% 
mass is missing in the standard model, which is another issue. But, you know, in quantum theory, hopefully if your theory is precise, if your theory is correct, then it's very precise. So to predict the radius of a proton, which affects a lot of other constants in physics, to be 4% smaller was a pretty bold move. And, you know, a few months later, unbeknown to me, a team in Switzerland were attempting to measure the radius of the proton more precisely using muons, which are heavier electrons. They collide with the proton and they got a radius that was very, very close to my prediction. And they published it in 2013, you know, in January. It was widely criticized. There had been a 2010 experiment already that had healed the shorter radius, but there was very little confidence on that first one. So they redid it better. And so in 2013, they confirmed my prediction or what people will get if they solve these equations in my paper. And the result is within the margin of error of their experiment, meaning it's inside one sigma of their experiment. So it's very precise relative to the experiment. But there was a lot of criticism still because they were using muons, which are a heavier electron. So people were saying maybe it's flexing the electrostatic charge of the proton and so on. It's changing the result. There was a lot of skepticism. And until 2018 or 19 or end of 18, where, you know, they redid the experiment with electrons this time in a different way, more precisely than before using electrons. And by not using the modification of the standard model, they realized that the way they were calculating the radius using the standard model created a problem. And that was the error in the measurement that produced the 4% change in the radius of the proton. And a few months later, in 2019, CoData, which is the standard for all values in physics, change their value for the radius of the proton to the value that's predicted in my papers if you solve these equations. So that's very significant. It's not trivial, it's non-trivial, and it doesn't matter what people say. If the equation is straightforward, it's easy to solve, and anybody that does will get that value, and there's no error, it's not, circular, it gives the correct value as well for the gravitational coupling constants, for all black holes in the universe. It gives the correct value for the range of the strong force, for the angular momentum of the proton, and so on. So, you know, it's very accurate and it's consistent. It's just a little cryptic. And of course, it doesn't look like the standard model because it's not. So, you know, People that are used to the standard model says, what is this? Well, it's an alternative. And this alternative is now being completed in a way that will clarify for many people what this 
information theory approach to physics reveals? <laughs> well, thanks for helping me try to make sense of it. It is over my head, though. I did hear about that code data official value being implemented, and that's very validating. And when I try to look this up, it's just difficult because sometimes these values are written in femtometers, mm -hmm. and then sometimes they're written out as like 2.2 times 10 to the third power. And so it's hard for me to kind of equate if these are the same thing. Mm -hmm. But the last thing I saw, because if you Google proton radius puzzle, this is a thing in physics that people have been trying to solve. And it seems like one of the measurements is 0 0.84 femtometers and one is 0 0.88 femtometers. That seems to be what was picked up on in September of 2019 by Eric Hessels of York University. What is that value in your paper that CoData has adopted in femtometers? Is it 0 0.84? Yeah, I mean, the best way is to just go to CoData and to get the value there at this point, it's very, I don't have it under my eyes. I actually have Olivier here in front of me. Maybe he can pull it up, but the code data value is very easy to find. You just go to the code data website and punch in the charge radius of the proton or radius of the proton and it will come right up. And yeah, you can measure it in femtometer. They, you know, typically measured that way. You know, there's various ways to describe it in this various radius. There's the Compton radius as well. So the current value is given as 8.414. And then that is, you know, with confidence of 19 on there and it's multiplied by 10 to the minus 16 meters so this is the easiest way to look at the value this value then matches very strongly what is found in my paper quantum gravity and the holographic mass solution so that's the best way to go about it if you just go to codata you will find that value Fair, fair. Right on. Um, well, you know, many people who have made bold, paradigm-challenging discoveries were fought tooth and nail before they were considered a pioneer, so we might just uh, be in that kind of situation. Right. Have you, I'm just curious, yeah. have you ever defended your papers in front of an academic panel like a PhD student would or had a high-level debate on the hollow fractal graphic unified model that people could seek out and watch? Well, yes, I've been doing that for some 25 years. Um, you know. I've seen a lot of presentations, but I just, I haven't seen a debate, but I would love to. Oh, right. Because typically they're not filmed or if they are, they're not released to the public. One of the problem is that because this is controversial for most physicists, they're not necessarily wanting to publicly debate. It would have an adverse effect on their career. It could have an adverse effect on their relationship to their peers and so on. So in general, these debates go behind closed doors. And as well, because clearly many know that if you put me in the same room with them, I can show them evidence that is unrefutable. And yeah, you can say, okay, these are two different approach. 
yeah, that's true. One is very complex, has a lot of holes in it, the standard model and the cosmological models of physics today have a lot of holes in them. And the other one is pretty straightforward, entropic, holographic entropic theory and information theory, very, very solid. They produce very, very good results. And as I was saying, in this next paper we're working on, we're going to show that it produces everything we see very precisely, including fundamental constants very, very, very precisely. In fact, using our theory now, we have been able to back engineer a more precise value for G, for the gravitational constants, which is really important in physics because currently in quantum theory, whenever you put G in an equation, whenever you put gravity, the gravitational constants in an equation, for instance, for the Planck's length or the Planck's mass and so on, you actually reduce the precision to four to five digit because we don't measure gravity very precisely. It's very hard to measure and we don't measure gravity very precisely. So as soon as you put G in an equation in quantum theory, you've reduced the precision of quantum theory by a significant amount, by orders of magnitude. And so the fact that our theory is now outputting like the Reinberg constant, the G factor, many, many constant, fundamental constant. And I know I haven't published this yet, so people cannot see that yet, but they will. You're just going to have to take my word for it for now. And it gives very appropriate, you know, we're talking, imagine this, you're using a mathematical model, right, to predict the value and the value comes out with like 10, 12 digit accuracy, exactly the same digit after the period as the measurement in a laboratory, that's just remarkable. But then we can take that equation, these equation, flip them around and back engineer G and get that level of accuracy on G. And we know that numbers beyond what we are measuring are accurate because they're being measured in these other constants that are part of this equation. Hmm. It makes sense. I just get so impatient because life is short and I want to see more scientists and physicists brought over to our side so we can like make some of the progress that we want to make. And I think the best proof is to create technologies that force the arrogant, stubborn scientific community to question their own models. And I know You've been working on things at Taurus Tech. Can you give us an update on how some of your projects there are going? Yeah, there is a lot of advancement in plasma technology. We're working on various magnetic devices and we are advancing as well with crystalline technology, you know, doing tests and so on. We have things in the works that are going to help scientists understand better this new view of physics. I assure you that I'm not the only one, and there's people all around the world working on these things. Recently, 
NASA announced that Sunny White, which is a part of NASA's department that have been working on the warp drive, and others have implemented a device that was invented in England originally called the EM drive, which the mainstream physics community basically described or give the nickname for almost 15 years, the impossible drive, because it is a closed container in which you're only bouncing electromagnetic field, microwave basically, and you're getting thrust. So there's nothing coming out the back end, but the thing is wanting to move. And the only thing you could think it's pushing against is the ether, the vacuum itself. And Sunny White tested it. The Chinese tested it first, then Sunny White tested it, and NASA got confirming results, but then was thrown a whole bunch of tomatoes. Uh, you see, even if you're at NASA, you can get plenty of tomatoes thrown at you. <laughs> and for years, he redid the measurements more carefully in many different ways. And now this drive is starting to be implemented for some of the technologies that are being developed by NASA. So things that appear to the common physicist as impossible or improbable can become very probable and very possible in a short amount of time. <laughs> yes, very exciting. But damn, this has all been so fascinating. I really enjoy the way you talk about the world, the way you look at the world. I can't speak for the math or the underlying data to support it, but I hope it's there because this is just a lot more productive and positive way to think about our environment and our place in it, especially at this point in the timeline. So thanks again for doing it. Please remind the people where they can sign up for the free course and anything else you might want to tell them about what you got going on before we call it in. Yeah, so people can go to resonancescience.org and they can register for the course there and they can get on our forum and have wonderful conversation with the community around the world. Like I said, I mean, currently there's 22,000 students taking the course. So there's a lot of people to meet and to talk with and to discuss and to exchange information with. And then as well, you know, there is ARC crystals if people are interested. So ARC crystals, A-R-K crystals with an S.com. And, you know, they can get some information there as well. My papers are on the website if you're interested in more technical language. There is papers about the proton radius. There is papers in which we expanded this solution to the universe and predicted the correct mass of the universe without need for dark matter and dark energy. And there's papers about the electron as we use the same equations to predict the radius and the mass of the electron and so on. And we have an extraordinary paper coming out very soon. So if you register with us, then it's easy for you to get the information when it comes out. And this next paper is going to really help people 
that I have a hard time with the way the formalism I used, which literally I mean the equations I've used to describe this theory, it's going to be much easier for them to be able to relate it to what they already know. And so I really look forward to that time. And as I said, I have no problem with debating anything like this technically or not technically, but certainly technically with any physicist on the planet at any time. So that's not a problem. And I look forward to these conversations. I learn in them as well. This is what science is about. This is what it should be. It should be people talking, debating, calculating, and evolving all together. So I'm totally open to this. Right on. I agree. The best ideas will stand up to scrutiny because they are the best ideas. But Correct. Man, I'm glad the course is going well. Got to build up that hollow fractal graphic army to change the world. Uh-huh. Hopefully we're on the path there. But this has all been very interesting. Thanks for spending some time with me. Stay safe out there and keep plugging away. You're the man. Same to you. May the vacuum be with you, bro. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Bye-bye. The power of Christ compels you. All right, cool cats and kittens. The return of the unified physics king himself. Gotta love it. I realized two guests from the Resonance Academy back-to-back is a pretty big dedication of the THC interview schedule. But I had William Brown booked and then got word that Nassim was interested in doing it again. And I wasn't going to say no, so here we are. We've also had a crazy week since I recorded this show, and the next show actually, but the next one might be a bit more topically relevant for me to add my recent events commentary to, but I would just say that, like many people, I was saddened and frustrated when I first saw the George Floyd murder by the cop video, as I am every time I see police brutality, but after a few days I started to see a lot more material that suggests something very fishy is going on. Maybe I'll have to record something separate as these protests grow more and more or more information comes out, but there is a suspicious media coordination here. We talk a lot about how very rarely do things this big happen organically without some shepherding along, and I think we're seeing that. Several citizen journalists have pointed out big pallets of bricks that just seem to be dropped off near protest areas. Similar stories are happening in certain places. I've seen a ton of agent provocateur footage, and the protesters are doing a surprisingly good job at policing themselves, I would say. And I've seen some really heartwarming things, too. One police chief laying down the riot gear to walk with protesters some cops kneeling in solidarity in a couple of instances, and that's beautiful to see. Police brutality is not a new thing, though, and it's definitely not a new experience for black people, but the morning after the first big night of protests, I shared a video compilation that was 20 minutes of police attacking protesters unprovoked. Women, children, old men, black, white, Asian. Police brutality is really not just a minority issue or only an issue for a certain kind of citizen. It's a power trip issue, and anyone could face the wrath of it if they're in the wrong time and place. 
So everyone should want the police demilitarized and some accountability on these issues. And the video I shared, it all took place over a single night. None of them were the looters. And this is the response to police brutality protests. It demonstrates exactly why they're needed. And things are moving so fast. Like, you never hear me tell you to follow me on Facebook or Twitter. But if you want to hear my thoughts on things as they happen, or more importantly, see the same data that I'm looking at, then you probably should follow me on Twitter while you can. Because I can kind of put that stuff out there a lot faster in more real time than I can with the actual podcast itself. But I'm also far from the only one seeing this stuff, so maybe you don't need me. I don't know, but I still think something about this is inorganic, as overdue as a lot of it might be. It feels like just when people were starting to push back against the coronavirus lockdowns, this happened. It's like, if the medical martial law doesn't take, then I guess we'll get a full-on race war-fueled one. And funny how little I hear about the virus all of a sudden. But I did hear about contact tracing being used against protesters. Where are we? China? (sighs) But as for today's show, I really like Nassim and I have a worldview that's very simpatico with what he says. But I would like to see more online debates with conventional physicists over the details of his theory and the math. Sometimes it seems like a person's work, as amazing as it is, is kept within a certain bubble. The Resonance Academy has thousands of followers, many highly educated people who have a passion for science and physics, way more so than myself, and they're in this corner. Sometimes it's just hard to know if the whole problem can really be chalked up to the conventional scientific paradigm still just being that stubborn and close-minded. But I try to be a bit more rigorous this time, because what I want to see from the Resonance Academy is the published studies on things like arc crystals affecting the growth of plants and blocking harmful frequencies. I mean, you heard the show, but Nassim did respond to some of those questions by saying that that material is coming. And I know I seem to flip-flop between saying Nassim and Nassim, But I have watched many of his interviews and a lot of his roundtables with his own people, and they seem to do that. So I always seek out consistency from a person's work and the available interviews they've done. I'm getting no consistency here. So I guess being inconsistent would be proper consistency. But anyway, I guess we just have to let it happen. We have to let this data come out. That's what he said, is that when I asked those questions, he said the material is coming. I just have this sense that reality is very strange right now. The agenda schedule has been turned up to 11. We might see food shortages. We have this insane civil unrest. If you've got an anti-gravity craft, get it out here. Now's the time. If you're pulling ether from the vacuum, we need it yesterday. Obviously, my anxiety and impatience are not Nassim's fault or his concern. He's doing his thing, and I salute him for it. He made his course free to everyone, that's something. But I read the books of Dean Radin or Lynn McTaggart, and it's study after study, published result after published result, 
And it's something I can hold and hand over to a skeptic and say, if consciousness has no effect on reality and mental sigh is just fantasy, explain this right here. Maybe what the Resonance Academy is doing is just a bit too complex for me. But why can't we get Nassim and five physicists in a room to say, if this math is wrong, point out where? Let's get to the bottom of this stuff and let the truth stand on its own weight, because in many different areas of life, I just don't think we have the time to waste. I'm going off the rails here, but I do appreciate so much of what he says, and his message is definitely one of spreading the love vibration, the unity frequency, elevating consciousness, and much of that is worth keeping in mind right now, for sure. So big thanks to him, big thanks to William Brown. I don't know why they're spending their time with little old me, but I do thank them both. I hope everybody is safe out there. I know emotions are high, frustrations are bubbling over, but I don't want to see a very long history of racial injustice and police brutality get twisted in the wrong direction, and I never want to see advocates for equality and justice used in ways that further technocratic control and further divide us. So keep your heads up. Stick together. I love you guys. Let's apply all the things that we've learned over these many years to the current situation. And I think we'll be all right. But if you want to hear the second hour with Mr. Hairmain, sign up for THC+. Today we talked about plasma technologies and other things in the works at Taurus Tech. The memory of water, the harmonic flux resonator, Applying the hollow fractographic science to farming, space in the ancient world, Vatican telescopes and outside visitors, crafts using the sun singularity for cosmic travel, NASA footage manipulation, navigating singularities, and the freaking kitchen sink. What more do you want from me? A lot packed into that extra hour, as always. Join Plus, people. I need you. You need it. And that's the pitch, but you've heard it all before. That said, take care out there, and I will catch you soon. ResonanceScience.org. I'm getting out of here. Your move propaganda pushers, consciousness deniers, and agents of the scientific quarantine. Your fucking move. Oh no, you see, the world isn't Attached to puppet strings Control over everything The nine to five is trying to steal ya Now don't that job seem silly Hello, can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings From some spike agency Wish we were younger I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy There's such a difference Between us And the damn
It's no secret, and that the 